find Philippians chapter 3 in your copy of the scripture as we continue our journey through this little book in the New Testament. And I'm going to be preaching this morning on the subject matter, not everyone is on the same road. Or everyone is, uh, I've got it phrased, uh, everyone is not on the same road or traveling the same road. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17 and reading down through verse 21. You'll notice the tie's blue this morning. It's a boy, nine pounds, three ounces. He's a big old boy. I tell you what, uh, he came out big enough. He's got a wife and kids and a dog all his own. But uh, uh, so I'm a, I'm a new grandpa, uh, second time over. I'm so tickled by that. Can't wait to see him this week. Uh, Connie's there with him now, taking care of the toddler. She's got her hands full and she's tired while they continue to be at the hospital. Uh, there were some complications in the delivery, so they're having to keep Melinda uh, a couple of extra nights. They had to end up doing a C-section and and uh, then, as we've seen in the church so oftentimes, bigger babies, they put them in NICU because trouble regulating their uh, blood sugar levels. So they got that all straightened out. All's good. So uh, Lord willing, they'll be coming home uh, tomorrow from the hospital. So I appreciate your prayers uh, for my daughter and her family. Uh, stand with me for the reading of God's word, please. Philippians 3. Beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Father, I pray that You would open our hearts and minds to this great passage today. And Lord, as we look deeply into it, I pray that each of us would examine our hearts, the road we're on, our manner of life, our conduct. What are we living for? Where are we laying up our treasures? As Pastor Seeger read a moment ago, no one can serve two masters. Lord, are, are our eyes fixed firmly upon you? Are we about your kingdom's business each and every day? Lord, help us to follow the example of the saints of God that we find in the scripture and those among us who set such wonderful examples. May we walk in their footsteps. May our eyes be on you, and may we bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
Folks, I want you to think with me this morning about the miles and miles that you no doubt will be traveling this year as 2020 closes and we get into a, another year. Think about the months that lie ahead for you. As you think about your travels, consider the following. According to the Rough Guides Travel Book series, there are more than 4 million miles of paved roads in America. According to the Federal Highway Administration, there are 4.3 million miles of paved roads, and they go on to say the vast majority, 75.2% of the nation's highways are under the jurisdiction of local governments. The rest, 20.5% are controlled and maintained by, by state governments. Only 4% under the jurisdiction of the federal government. The heaviest traveled road in the nation is I-405 in Los Angeles. 400,000 cars a day travel that road. The least traveled interstate is in Alaska, Highway 11. Most states served by an interstate would be 15. 15 states, including the District of Columbia with I-95 running all the way up the East Coast. The most popular city that's not served by a major interstate, Fresno, California, that has a population of 500,000, no interstate. Folks, transportation is important to our country. 4% of our GDP every year. 19% of the average family's budget, as much as food and health care combined, and second only to housing. Now, as we look at Philippians chapter 3 this morning, we see that Paul is talking about a different kind of road to travel, a more important kind of road to travel. You know, Jesus spoke of the same thing, didn't he? about the roads people travel. He said, most unfortunately are on the broad road to destruction. There's many that travel that road. There's only a few on the road to eternal life. Paul is here speaking of the kind of travel that we do with our life. It's not measured by the odometer in our car or truck but by how we spend our energies, our dollars, by what defines our passions, our priorities, our relationships. Again, what kind of road are you traveling? What kind of road will you travel? You're on one kind of road, that's for certain. And what we see in our text this morning is that we are to be the wise traveler with a hope on a road with a hope that lies beyond anything that this world has to offer. I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning, the unwise traveler. The unwise traveler. Paul says, For many, in verse 18, of whom I've often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, and their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
Now, as Paul writes these verses, he mentions that he's doing so even with tears. We see in the New Testament that it was not unusual for Paul to be weeping. In Acts chapter 20, he calls together the elders of the church at Ephesus and meets them uh, on the beach at Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he meets with them to tell them to shepherd the flock of God over which God has made them overseers. And they are to protect the flock from dangerous wolves that will come in. And they are to guard the deposit of truth that God has put in them. And the Bible says there in Acts chapter 20 that, that Paul and the elders, they get down on their knees and they're weeping together because Paul has told them that they'll probably never see his, his face again. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says he weeps tears over his countrymen, the fellow Jews, because we owe them so much. To them belongs the patriarchs, the law, the commandments, the prophets. And from the Jewish lines, humanly speaking, we have the Messiah. And yet Paul says, they, they have not opened their eyes to see the Messiah. And Paul wept for them. Folks, do you and I ever weep for what breaks God's heart? Some of you old timers here this morning probably remember back in the old days. I, I've had some tell me they, they miss the days of the old-fashioned mourner's bench down front. The mourner's bench was a place where people would come during the service or during the invitation. They were under conviction. And they would sit down front or off to the side or on the mourner's bench. And they would weep over their condition. And they would get right with God. Do we ever weep today? over what break, breaks God's heart. Do we ever weep today over the condition of the world? Kevin made mention of that in his prayer a moment ago. I mean, look at the world that we're in today. What a mess we're in all over the world. Such negativity. I've never seen such as is going on today. Everybody's offended by something and everybody's mad at somebody else about something and there's so many people by their lifestyles it's obvious they're lost as we judge the fruit of their lives because after all the Bible tells us we, we will know them by their fruits do we ever weep over these things Paul is weeping here as he writes and he tells us why first of all he weeps over the occupation of the unwise traveler he says he's weeping because there are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ He's not talking about just a few, sadly, but as he looks at his culture, he says that there are many. I wonder what he would say about our culture today. He describes the unwise traveler as the one who walks. That's speaking of your lifestyle, the one who walks as an enemy of the cross of Christ. What's the cross? Obviously, the cross of Christ is the means by which we are forgiven. And so the cross is first and foremost the means of redemption. Jesus died on the cross. 
the just for the unjust. He took the wrath of God in your place, in your stead, in my stead. He died for you and for me. He died as our substitute. Folks, there is no remission of sin apart from the shedding of blood, as, as the book of Hebrews tells us. And there on Calvary's cross, Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and for me. But while being our means of redemption, the cross is also for the Christian a symbol of humility, of suffering, of self-denial. And that's the point that Paul seems to be making here. Yes, there are many opposed to the basic Christian gospel of a Messiah dying on a cross, but there are also many, some even, who profess to be religious, some who even profess to be Christians, who are enemies of what the cross means for them in their everyday life. They may claim to embrace the cross as far as what Jesus did there, but they deny the cross in their own lives. The Bible says, after all, that, that to follow Christ, we've got to take up our cross and follow Him. Any thought that you should have your best life now the thinking that life is to be convenient and comfortable for me is essentially living as an enemy of the cross. We don't hear very much today about the cross. And we sure don't hear much today about self-denial. Even in the church, many pulpits have been, become a place where pastors simply tickle ears with, with feel-good messages. I remember to this day a message I heard years ago from Jeff Long over at Parkwood in Gastonia speak about how he was tired of running in to parents in the church who were opposed to their children going into missions. They said they didn't want their kids, quote, leaving America, leaving the good life. They wanted to be rising, they wanted their kids to be rising stars in a, in a business world or something equivalent to that. They didn't want their kids struggling on a mission field somewhere. And Jeff was like, do you hear what you're telling me? What you're telling me, I, I understand because I'm a parent. We don't want bad things for our kids. We don't want them to, to suffer. But everything you're telling, telling me is contrary to the New Testament about a believer being in God's will whatever that means for them. He said, you're talking like people who are enemies of the cross while you sit here in church. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. The New Testament reminds us that as Christians, we aren't simply to be looking for what the world would call the good life. In fact, we're to die to self. We are to put ourselves last. We are to serve Christ and serve others. But again, what's Paul saying here? There are many, there are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, walking describes their way of life. It describes 
uh, their occupation. They walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, folks, I know we've all done things that we're ashamed of, that we look back on and we think how it brought reproach to the name of Christ. I think of Simon Peter as he thought about how he had denied Jesus Christ three times. And he went out and wept and repented. Paul's not talking here about believers who look back on their life and they, they see something that happened that they know they failed the Lord. He's not talking about that. What he's speaking of here is those who live that way. They live as enemies of the cross. Some are enemies who outright lambast Christianity. They think you're a fool for believing what you believe. Others are enemies who try to make no decision. They just want to remain neutral on the matter. But as the Bible tells us, we're either for him or against him. Others are enemies who profess to know him, but then live like the world. Folks, I hope not, but, but this morning, maybe somebody would have to entertain the possibility that you're walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ when you look at the overall testimony of your life. Let's not keep this passage locked away into the 60s, the A.D. 60s in the first century. If Paul mentioned it in the first century, could not these words also be addressing the 21st century? I think so. For some, that might even sound like an offensive question, but it's a fair question. Do we live our lives daily with our eyes wide open to the will of God and what that might mean for us? I hope you and I know where in our lives draw a line and say, Lord, this is as far as I would go for you or with you. I'll go this far, but no further. If you call me to do something beyond this comfort zone line in my life, I'm not in. I'm not going to do it. That essentially would be living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Are we living? Are we living like God owns our next move? I hope so. Also, you see here, Paul weeps over the outcome of the unwise traveler. Look at what he says there in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Folks, he's talking about hell. Hell is very real in the Bible. That's something else we don't hear much about. A lot of people today want to laugh at the subject, but Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better to lose your eye than for your whole body to be cast into hell one day. He said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to lose your hand than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus Christ never laughed about the reality of hell. He said it was created. The Bible tells us it's created for the devil and his angels. That is the demons. Jesus spoke of it being a place of eternal torment from which there's no escape. 
But Paul is saying those that their lifestyle, again, not talking about a temporary stumbling or an occasional stumbling, but those who as their lifestyle, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is saying here, that's where they're going to end up. They're going to face eternal destruction. You say, preacher, do you believe all that business? Do you believe all that business about hell? Listen, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Do you think Jesus would lie about the reality of something so serious? You say, preacher, you're preaching to the choir. We all believe these things in the Bible. Well, you might be surprised at what I've heard, heard church members tell me through the years as to what they believe and don't believe. Then he says their God is their belly. He's talking about their appetites as an unwise traveler. What do they live for? They are living for all of the pleasures and comforts of this world. That's what they have their vision set on. There are all sorts of people around us today that are only living for the moment and what they can get out of this life. They, they live with no eternal perspective. They're living at the level of the flesh. They're just living for the things of now, the things of this world. Fleshly appetites govern their lives. They live for the moment. They live for sex, for food, for entertainment, for worldly pleasure of some sort or another. That's what they're living for. It's foolish to live that way. Remember the parable Jesus told in Luke 12 about the rich farmer who had a bumper crop that year and he, and he said, I'm going to build bigger and better barns, store everything I've got there and say, soul, you've got it made. Just eat, drink, and be merry. You've got everything you'll ever need to enjoy life. Hey, now you can just kick back and relax and live a life of pleasure. And Jesus said, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul shall be required. All the way back in Genesis 3, God told man, he told Adam, you're going to die. The, the man who lives only for the moment and fails to prepare for eternity is a foolish man. Remember Lot? Lot chose the pastures towards Sodom because they looked good and it ended up costing him everything. And then Paul adds here, their glory is in their shame. Commentators talk about all the different options here Paul may be referring to. On the one hand, there were the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers? They said you need a Jesus plus something else salvation. And that something else is you need to be circumcised. You need to keep all of the Jewish law Jesus is not enough for salvation. If you want to become a Christian, you've got to become a good Jew first. They were enemies of the cross of Christ. When you think about circumcision, they were glorying and, and what should be your shame, essentially, as far as public discourse and conversation. I mean, who sits around the dinner table at night? and talks about circumcision. 
But that's what the Judaizers were glorying in, things that would normally in, in public communication be, be shameful, something that you would keep more private. Then there were the libertines who said, if I'm saved by grace, then I can just sin and sin all the more. They ended up going down a road of doing just about anything and claiming to be free to be able to do so. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Then there were those who followed Greek philosophy of the day, who said that all that mattered was not material things, but only spiritual things. So you can do anything you want with your body. They were enemies of the cross of Christ. Then there are those who don't identify with anything spiritual. They just live as pagans for no reason. The bottom line is, we don't know which of these groups Paul may have in mind. He may have been addressing all of them. And as I said a moment ago, he might have also been addressing the person that said they believed all of these things, everything about the gospel mentally. They would be orthodox, but then they just didn't live it. They didn't live out the gospel. They lived like the world around them. Folks, one thing is for sure, when he talks about people glorying in their shame, there, there are things that people do today that they ought to be ashamed of. Have, have you noticed the things that people glory in today? And no shame, nobody's ashamed of anything anymore. I mean, nothing anybody does. Are they ashamed of anything anymore? Dr. Jerry Vines once said, people used to blush if they were embarrassed. Now they're embarrassed if they blush. We laugh at sin. There's no brokenness of sin today, no shame. People want to advertise it and brag about it. They want to go out and have a parade about it or something else. They just want to advertise it. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he adds, they set their minds on earthly things. What they can see and touch and feel, this is what drives them in, in their life. This, what, this goes back to what I was saying a moment ago. They never consider eternity. What did Moses do? Moses in Psalm 91 prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might live according to wisdom. But today, not many live that way. It's the moment that counts. We just want to have fun. Do you realize all these things Paul is saying about this group he's talking to here? We see all of this today, folks. All of this today. Living for the moment, living for pleasure, enemies of the cross of Christ. It's a life contrary to the cross. I didn't even mention uh, verse 17 a moment ago where Paul said, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I could have talked about the importance of pitch picking the right kind of companions to travel through life with. We need to follow good examples. Many pick bad examples. Folks, think about the way you're living. We all need to do that constantly. 
Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole entire world and loses his very own soul? We need to pay attention to our walk. Moses, as the writer of Hebrews points out, forsook the treasures of Egypt. I think of all that Moses had in Egypt, all the power and prestige and treasures, and Moses rejected all of that so that he could be counted among God's people. That's how we need to be living. Now, on the other hand, look at what Paul refers to next, the wise traveler. Look at verse 20 and following. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Folks, we are to live like kingdom citizens. The beauty of the Christian life is that we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of earth, obviously, but we're to live as citizens of heaven. All of the values of heaven are even to govern our lives now as we wait to get there. And at Philippi, they would have understood that because, as I said in an earlier message, Philippi had been made a Roman colony. Rome, because Philippi had helped Rome in one of its battles, Rome had honored the citizens of Philippi by making them also citizens of Rome. They were citizens of, of Macedonia, but they were also citizens of Rome with all the rights and privileges thereof. And so the, the church at Philippi would have understood these words having to do with dual citizenship. But you and I are to live that way. We're dual citizens. We have an earthly address, but we are to have a heavenly orientation. And, and what's Paul say about that? Just one book over in Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, he says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And he goes on to tell why. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're a believer, You've died to the flesh. You've died to the desires of this world. You and I are to live even now as citizens of heaven. All of the values that we think of in, in the Bible about the Christian life and about the kingdom of God and about heaven, we're to drag all of that into our current conduct. Doesn't mean we go around talking like we got a steeple stuck in our throat. But even our conversation ought to be different as believers. Our thinking, our desires, our conversation, our pursuits in life, our relationships, everything ought to be different. We ought to be seeking that which is above. Folks, we need to bring a little bit of heaven into everything we do. Amen? That ought to be normal. 
I guarantee you, you travel somewhere else in the world and you're going to take a little bit of your American life and habits with you wherever you go. It's, it's just who you are. Well, we're to carry a little bit of heaven with us wherever we go. Likewise, we have a coming king. In Philippi, you know what they would do? They would prepare and wait for a visit from the emperor. It was a, it was a high honor. They would clean up their city. They would put their best foot forward. Likewise, we are to live as those who... ...at any moment. What if he comes back today? What if he comes back today? Anything you'd be ashamed of? Anything you need to deal with to get ready? Because for all we know, he will come today. When he comes, we've got a time of transformation right around the corner. We'll get new bodies. Look at what Paul says here. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There was a Christian singer some years ago known for his hilarious lyrics to his songs. And he wrote one about these bodies and how frail they are and how we're looking forward one day to that glorious body we're going to get. He said, side by side, he wrote this of his sweetheart, side by side we got married last Friday. My girl was right there beside me. Our friends were all gone. We were all alone side by side. We were so happily wed when she got ready for bed. Then her teeth and her hair she placed in the chair side by side. One glass eye so tiny, one hearing aid so small. Then she took one leg off and placed it in the chair by the wall. I sat there broken hearted. Most of my girl had departed. <laughs> so I slept on the chair. There was more of her, after all, over there. <laughs> Paul saying one of these days, though, there's going to be a glorious trans transformation of these bodies. Amen? Your loved ones you've put in the grave. That's not the final chapter. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Coming transformation. We're to live now looking for that. And there's power in living that way. After all, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And therefore, Abraham was willing to live in tents. Moses, mentioned him a moment ago, forsook all the treasures of Egypt for heavenly treasure. Because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. A present power comes from a future hope. Warren Wearsby talks about what it means to live like a citizen of heaven. He says, first of all, it means that our names are on heaven's record. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. He said, secondly, it means that we speak heaven's language. 
Our speech is to be full of grace, seasoned with salt. He said, thirdly, it means that we obey heaven's laws. And lastly, he says, it means that we're to be loyal to heaven's cause. What God loves, we love. What God hates, we hate. Folks, that's living as a wise traveler. Amen? A wise traveler. Be honest. Look at your life this morning. What road are you on? How are you living? What kind of traveler are you? Unwise or wise? Let me invite, invite you to pray with me this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be wise travelers, not unwise. The forces about us in this world that would have us live like unwise men who never watch their step, Lord, help us to turn away from that. The world would have us love its own, think like its own, give ourselves to those things that the man of the world gives himself to. Lord, ultimately we know that that's the path to destruction. Lord, help us, empower us to be wise travelers, to love what you love, to work for that which honors and glorifies you. Lord, help us to travel this life as kingdom citizens. We thank you that we have a home to look forward to that will never fade. We thank you that one day we'll have fellowship, eternal fellowship with the saints and we'll see our Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who makes all of this possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want you to understand something this morning. Your status as a traveler can change. If God's been convicting you recently that you're on the unwise road, you're an unwise traveler. And you know that you don't have a relationship with Christ. You need to come to Him. And don't delay. The scripture in the New Testament says, Today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. You don't know how much time you have. Nobody does. Come to Christ. As a Christian, if you've taken your eyes off the goal and begun living too much for the things of the world around you and, and you're not that wise traveler anymore as far as your pursuits and passions and energies, you need to get back to what once you surrendered to. Remember what, what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2? You need to remember from where you've fallen and you need to get back to your first love. How about your loved ones? All of us probably have loved ones that we know this morning, we, we at least suspect that they're on a road to destruction. They don't know Christ. Do we ever weep over them? You may want to come and bow at the altar this morning and pray 
Pray for that one in your life that you know is living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. That God would do His work in them and change them. Eternally change them. Folks, let's get back to weeping for what breaks God's heart. For weeping over lostness and the way lost men and women live. Weep for those in your own life who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Would you stand, please? Let's sing together.